Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I'm not totally sure about this, John, but I think Major League Baseball has to pay everyone who's ever bet on a game a lack of integrity fee in the wake of the Astros scandal. Is that how this works? Yeah, Eric, I'm totally baffled because a lot of the scandal dates back to 2017, right? Mm -hmm. But that was almost a year before the U.S. Supreme Court opened the door for states beyond Nevada to offer full-scale sports betting. Now, I was told that scandals would only happen if other states got to offer legal sports betting. So that's my confusion. Um, (laughs) Luckily, no one was betting on Major League Baseball games in 2017, except a handful of tourists and a couple of locals in Las Vegas. So it's really not a big deal, uh, Eric, although I'm not totally sure about that either. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess we're we're not quite sure about any of this. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know that uh, I, I'm going to contradict you because there had to have been some sports betting in 2017 because uh, Mattress Mac was uh, was hedging back then as well, from what I've heard. So uh, I, I think all the people who got free mattresses from Mattress Mac in 2017 probably have to return them now. Uh, I, I would think that that's uh, how this should work as well. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to play out here. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to say, I feel bad for Astros fans. Uh, their their joy is uh, retroactively tainted forever. Of all these sort of championships with an asterisk that are, that have been out there over the years, uh, this feels like the the most hollow championship now of my lifetime. And and meanwhile, Pete Rose is absolutely right uh, that this is way worse than anything he ever did. But uh, I, I would say this, John, just to be safe going forward. Instead of your usual $2, I recommend you limit your baseball bets to $1 until until you can be sure the game has integrity again. Uh, I know horse racing has a $2 minimum. I'm not sure what the minimum is on uh, <laughs> on these, uh, these sports betting sites. <laughs> Online sports bets, you can go pretty low. There might not be a minimum. Maybe start at a penny and see if they accept the bet. <laughs> I'll try that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 74 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 73 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Uh, We don't collect an integrity fee or a royalty, uh, but we do collect five-star ratings. Oh, absolutely, Eric. And uh, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Michigan State Representative Brent Iden as he takes a well-earned victory lap, frankly, on Gamble On after successfully leading the push to make sports betting and online gaming legal in his state. We'll talk to Brand about getting his bill across the finish line, some of the compromises that were made along the way, and what the timeline now looks like in Michigan. But first, yes, it has been another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. When we talk to Brant Iden in a few minutes, one topic we will surely discuss with him is having a previous version of his bill vetoed by the governor at the end of 2018. Well, the same thing that happened in Michigan a little over a year ago just happened in Maine. A sports betting bill cleared the Maine legislature back in June of 2019. It was widely assumed Maine would become the first state in 2020 to legalize sports betting, but... Governor Janet Mills surprised the industry by vetoing it last Friday. The law that reached her desk was generally well-received in the gaming industry. There were reasonable tax rates of 10% for retail and 20% for mobile. The law allowed for up to 11 retail licenses and mobile sports books could get licensed without a retail partner. In short, it was shaping up to be the most open, competitive sports betting market in New England, which isn't saying much, but still. Uh, Nevertheless, 
Mills vetoed it, saying she's unconvinced the people of Maine are ready for legal sports betting. I'm inferring that she feels they're perfectly ready for the illegal sports betting they currently have access to. Anyway, it's expected that there will be an attempt to override the veto, but that would require a two-thirds vote in each chamber, which I don't think insiders have much confidence about. Uh, John, if you read Mills's whole letter, any insights on why she vetoed the bill? And would you expect that this will play out like Michigan did with legalization coming just a year or so after it seemed poised to? You know, first, I want to make some heads explode, Eric. Um, okay. You know, many of our subscribers are involved in the overall gaming or sports betting specific industry, and they may have missed a nugget in Mills's two page letter, which I did read. Um, she said that while she understands that sports betting legalization would bring in some revenue, the same could be said for allowing wagering on, wait for it, wait for it, betting on the weather, spelling bees, and school board elections. All right. So for those surviving listeners, I'll add, um, Mills did make a valid point about many states underperforming wide-eyed revenue projections. Uh, Maine is not going to get rich on this, and neither is really any state. So clearly advocates in that state have to educate her on the volume of illegal betting already occurring in her state, the lack of consumer protection on that, and the fact that states can't break even by ignoring sports betting legalization. Maine will only go backwards, as many of her constituents in southern Maine clearly are going to cross the border to New Hampshire to wager there instead. So she can't just, uh, you know, stand pat. It's going backwards. Um, New Hampshire revenues this year will make Mills take notice, I think. Um, Robinson doesn't seem as intractable as, say, New York Governor Cuomo on mobile batting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned that those uh, she she was pointing out in her letter that some of the revenues are, are not as advertised. Tax revenues in other states have fallen far short of projections. I look at that and I think she's basically overly focused on Rhode Island's temporary struggles because most of the recent trends are towards states collecting a nice chunk of change. Uh, Gary Rotstein just wrote a piece for us in the past week explaining why all those headlines early in 2019 about sports betting coming in under expectation have proven to be kind of a rush to judgment uh, and and it's really all trending in the right direction uh, or was, you know, as 2019 was coming to an end. Her her whole letter gets my blood boiling, really. It didn't make my head explode, but it got my blood <laughs> boiling. You know, she's saying we need to do more research. We need to figure out the right approach. We need to protect the children, etc. The research has been done. The legislature passed a pretty good approach. And if underage kids want to bet offshore, that's neither here nor there. This won't change that. This is just BS politics here, uh, from what I can tell. But on the bright side... Hey, it's only Maine, a state with a population of about 1.3 million. So in that regard, at least, it's not as big a deal as the veto a year earlier in Michigan. You're not going to remember the Maine, Eric, are you? <laughs> I, I, I'm not. And and I guess I, we're continuing our trend of uh, uh, insulting some of these smaller states. Uh, we've brushed off Delaware many times, and now I guess Maine is falling into a similar category. Yeah, well, we're going to have to live with it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, while the forward momentum in Maine has been reversed, we do have some positive movement building for sports betting in another state, Kentucky. On Wednesday, a bill was amended to allow wagering on in-state college teams, and that bill advanced out of committee and to the House floor. The college issue wasn't the only amendment. Kentucky's bill also contains an in-person registration requirement. And while that wasn't eliminated this week, an expiration date in 2022 was added. So in a couple of years, it will be possible to open a mobile sports betting account remotely. The bill still has a long way to go. 
but there's some degree of optimism as compared to last year when it went nowhere. Uh, because in 2020, there's a new governor who supports sports gambling, and it needed a three-fifths supermajority in 2019 to pass, but it only needs to break 50% in a 2020 vote. Uh, also of note, uh, the bill includes online poker. What do you think, John? With a new governor this enthusiastic for sports betting, is Kentucky looking like one of the best bets to legalize sports betting in 2020? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Eric. I mean, this is a horse racing state. They are a little bit familiar with gambling. Um, right. And as far as these one- and two-year in-person sign-up mandates um, – you know, uh, before that they sunset. Uh, I know the industry hates them, but people need to keep their eyes on the prize. I mean, I had a number of interviews with uh, New Jersey State Senator Ray Lesniak in 2011, 2012. You know, the state was preparing to move forward with a referendum and then a state law that barred betting on in-state colleges was part of it. Um, Lesniak said the main point was that they need to pass a law that would lure the sports leagues into filing a lawsuit that would, you know, I'll describe it as opening the door for the state to fire a rock from a slingshot <laughs> that would topple Goliath Paspa, that 1992 federal law that gave Nevada its monopoly. And guess what? It took six years, but uh, it worked. So if the price of admission is appeasing some state legislators who, like Lesniak, were Rutgers alums there, so be it. And how'd that work out? Pretty well. And I think similarly, on a, like a 20-year time horizon, a mild speed bump against immediately maximizing first-year sports betting in some state, it's not worth getting rattled over. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a mild speed bump. Uh, it'll make the revenues a little lower than they could be for what will ultimately be looked upon as a brief stretch of time, a, a year or two before it, the market can take certain steps to reach full maturity. But I, I'm right with you that that shouldn't shouldn't uh, be a deciding factor in anything. Uh, so yeah, I, I share your optimism about uh, Kentucky in 2020. Although, uh, you know, to the, the little pessimist in me does uh, take note that if it doesn't happen in 2020, it isn't really a possibility until 2022 due to that odd year, even year rule. Uh, but Governor Andy Bashir is really enthusiastic about sports betting. He made his position clear on the campaign trail. He's standing behind it. He said flat out the other day, quote, I fully support it and we should pass it. Uh, and the bill cleared committee by a 19 to nothing vote. So. I don't want to get overexcited, but uh, the positive signs are there in abundance. I think it's a done deal. It's it's happening. Oh, all right. The uh, the Brennan Lock. <laughs> That's right. The Brennan Lock. <laughs> all right. Uh, for our final topic this week, I will open the floor to Traveling Man John to talk about his latest trip to the Nickel G's Conference in San Diego. John wrote about horse racing, sports betting, and the lottery, among other topics discussed at the conference. You can find all those articles on usbets.com. John, what makes this conference unique among the many industry events, if anything? And what were some of the highlights of the weekend? Yeah, well, Eric, Nickel G stands for the National Council of Legislators from Gaming States. And it's unfortunate they have to spend a weekend in January every year in places like San Diego this year and New Orleans <laughs> the previous year. And I'm stuck following them. It, it's a rough life. But yeah. um, and more seriously, it's a good mix of some cutting edge legislators who are well versed in sports betting. Uh, this week's guest, Brant Iden, was in attendance, for instance, um, as well as others who are kind of gambling one on one track people. And that's important. Um, you know, one Midwestern legislator who is hearing about Missouri's lottery is mulling whether to try to get parlay betting for them in their state and then having to stay casinos handle the traditional sports bets. And this legislator felt that was very risky because he, he knew that a bad month of big payouts 
cuts from parlays might leave the state making no money at all for education and other worthy causes. And, you know, from a one-on-one perspective, that's not a crazy sentiment, right? Uh, then it was explained to him that over the course of the year, parlays, of course, are not really a risk at all. And they kind of tend to you know, pay out double uh, what traditional bets do. So right. that's an education thing, you know. Uh, then there was an Ohio horse racing official. He noted that of the 37 racehorse deaths in the state last year, all but three of them were thoroughbreds. Um, that's not surprising if you know the horse racing industry. But for a legislator in a state where standardbreds, who are the harness racing horses, dominate the landscape, that means the serious issues involving those thoroughbred racing deaths at uh, Santa Anita Park in California, it doesn't mean they have to panic and pass needless legislation in their state if they're more of a harness racing side. Um, so for all the fancy dinners and drinks that some of these elected officials presumably did, um, I don't hang with that crowd, but uh, the dozen or so panels over three days, they really offered a valuable opportunity for educating legislators who, to be fair, they also have more important issues to worry about than gaming. Yeah, uh, I suppose so. But I, I feel like, you know, these various sports betting panels are all pretty similar at this point. Um, so among the things that, that you wrote uh, this week, the one that stood out most to me was the one about the lottery. That was uh, uh, something sort of different and interesting. And just to see those revenue numbers, uh, $85 billion for the lottery uh, over the previous fiscal year compared to $42 billion for commercial casinos and just $11 billion, I say just $11 billion, but uh, just $11 billion for uh, movie box office receipts. That's, you know, I, I, I don't play the lottery, so I don't ever really think about how enormous it is, but seven or eight times bigger than the whole movie theater business. That's uh, That's something right there. Yeah, I heard decades ago that the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math, and I've been able to shake that one ever since, so I don't play the lottery either. <laughs> Movie theater snacks are also a tax on people who are bad <laughs> at math and don't don't or, or bad at stuffing things into their pockets before they enter the movie theater. Um, yeah, but <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's uh, I was thinking about that. It's an interesting trade off for you, uh, you know, to. Yeah, you have to work and travel all weekend, but you do get to spend that time in San Diego when it's winter on the East Coast. So, uh, not bad. Uh, I'm 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 heading to Atlanta today and uh, was hoping to enjoy some similar nice weather, but then I looked it up. It's going to be in the 50s and rainy in Atlanta. So, not great. Still better than the 30s in Philadelphia, but uh, I'm not I'm not quite going to San Diego. Well, on Saturday it was 70 in North Jersey and it was 65 in San Diego for me. Um, <laughs> It was a lot sunnier, to be honest, so I think I did okay. Yeah, you can sacrifice five degrees for, for just that nice San Diego sun. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. It wasn't easy to get over the finish line, but sports betting and online gambling are coming to the state of Michigan in 2020. Representative Brant Iden was the driving force behind the legislation that was signed into law by Governor Gretchen Whitmer on December 20th, and he joins us now on the podcast to talk about the roller coaster ride to this point and where the state's gaming industry goes from here. Representative Iden, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, great to be with you. Yes, it was certainly a ride. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that ride. Let, let me start by backing things up one year. Uh, in December 2018, a similar bill passed the House and the Senate and got vetoed by the outgoing governor. How surprised and disappointed were you in that moment? And how much did that loom over you in 2019 and affect your confidence that you could, in fact, go all the way with sports betting and online gaming? 
it will be one of those days that I will always remember. I can tell you exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing when I got the call from the governor's office. That's how disappointed I was. Hmm. Um, so I will, I will say this, you know, it's been, it's been four years, you're correct, since we've been working on this. And, and, you know, it was two years to get us to that point of the veto. And what was disappointing was that along that entire process, we had heard nothing from the former administration. Uh, you know, obviously they were hanging their head on the issue of lottery and impacting uh, state revenue as it relates to the school aid fund. But that was really never a concern, although it was referenced in the veto letter. It never came up. And so we were working the issue, working the issue. And I really thought all I had to do was get uh, a majority of uh, my colleagues to support the issue and the governor would be on board. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Uh, and so it was surprising and it, and it uh, forced us to start the process all over again. However, one of the things I'm very proud about is I believe that the package of bills today, as it stands, the bills that were signed are actually better than the bills that were originally introduced. And so, you know, it may have taken me a year longer to do it, unfortunately, <laughs> but I think that, that we ended up in a better spot, but it was certainly disappointing uh, throughout the, you know, that that happened. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Brent, I was wondering about that. You know, was there any one particular state that you and your colleagues tried to emulate in setting regulations? And kind of what you referred to is, uh, you know, I guess it might have been a little helpful to sort of draft behind a dozen or so states, uh, even though that wasn't the original plan. It, it really was. I will tell you that because, you know, one bill we didn't have in the in the package was an actual sports betting bill. The bill that we had that sort of dealt with that issue, and really it only referenced it in one byline, which directed gaming control to just set the regulations, was in the Internet Gaming Bill. And so I didn't have a robust sports betting bill. And so really what we what we were able to do by sort of following those other states was would come, sort of come up with some better uh, regulations uh, and you know, we sort of took that from what other states were doing well. And, and I believe, uh, again, my bill, my name's on it, but I think we have one of the best bills in the country. Um, now, obviously, a lot of the focus uh, nationally and within Michigan ha has been on the sports betting aspect uh, of things. But uh, you also did get the the online casino and poker and all that uh, other stuff uh, lumped in there. Or I shouldn't say lumped in because it's, uh, you know, everything has its own uh, categories. But uh, I'm a poker guy uh, having love playing online poker off and on for the last 15 years. What's your level of optimism that players in Michigan will be pooled with players in other states, such as my home state of Pennsylvania, uh, in the near future to create a more robust national online poker scene? Or, or is Michigan purely focused on just at the moment, just get it up and running in state and, and worry about player pooling later? Well, that certain player pooling was certainly a part of the conversation. It, I will say this. It was more so a part of the conversation from the early onset of the bills than it was towards the end, but it's, it's always been in the forefront of my mind. I mean, if we really want to drive a player to that market and we want to make those pots larger and we want to get players involved, it has to be multi-state. Um, I think it'll come in due time. I think this is going to take first and foremost, getting up and, and, and getting going in the state, a, a budget cycle or so for the administration and the legislature to sort of get uh, their feet underneath them with how much money this is actually bringing in revenue, making sure that it's not undercutting lottery, and then sort of get into, okay, how can we expand this? One of the conversations we have had is, you know, the governor's office was very concerned throughout these negotiations, again, with the focus being on lottery, that there were no sort of progressive multi-state pots, and that that would take players, again, away from uh, playing the online lottery and potentially impact that school aid fund. 
I believe that once this thing plays out and once we, we can sort of, uh, you know, all coalesce behind the concept that this doesn't impact iLottery, uh, I think that you're actually going to see potentially further legislation that may, you know, uh, start to delve into that realm a little bit. So I think it's coming. I think it will be in due time, though. I mean, I wouldn't say it's going to be right away this year, but hopefully within the next couple of years, you could definitely see that. Okay, and and just speaking of in due time uh, as just a, a more general thing or or a more immediate thing, do you have any sense at this point of of what the rough time frame is for just for when any of the the first sites in the state will launch? Are you getting any sense of of what people in Michigan can expect at this point, timing wise? You know, I'm I'm still very confident that it should be right around that March timeline. Okay. Uh, that NCAA basketball tournament is very big. I've had conversations with our regulators, and they believe that that from an internal perspective, they can be ready. The question becomes, can the operators get their paperwork in in time and actually get themselves up and running? Uh, I think it's likely that you'll see retail books come online first, mm-hmm. uh, but mobile will soon follow. Um, you know, our, our regulators are very focused on getting getting us up and running with the mobile piece. Um, but I do think that that retail piece will, will, will come in a lot sooner once those regulations are established. So I'm confident for March and I'm looking forward to uh, to betting on my Spartans. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Brent, because I'm kind of it's on my mind that uh, you know, I noticed it happened here first in New Jersey, basically. But uh, it's been around uh, a lot of states where it seems like every sports betting minded state has been grappling with this issue of whether to allow wagering on games involving colleges within the state. Um, so maybe you can explain to our uh, listeners, uh, how did that play out in Michigan? Was it one of the more difficult angles to reach agreement on, or was it something, there's a consensus? It seems to vary wildly from state to state. You know, what's very interesting about that is because Michigan being a Big Ten state, of course, and, and college uh, af- uh, athletics being such a uh, a big thing in our state between Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, these are big schools, a lot of followers, a lot of alumni, uh, people that are interested in placing wagers on those games. So the interesting thing was it never really came up. It was just always sort of assumed that you'd be able to place wagers uh, on those games. Obviously, you know, we, we verified that. I mean, I went around talking, hey, do we have any concerns with this? And really, at the end of the day, no stakeholders. And I didn't have pushback from my colleagues on that particular issue in fact many of them said can't wait to can't wait to bet on my wolverines can't wait to bet on my sparties i mean it's a like i say you know big uh a big college uh college state with a with a lot of schools uh that are all interested in in potentially uh you know the process and i think that you know at, at the moment and and as more states get up and going and as we sort of see what happens with this i think you will see uh groups like the ncaa potentially get involved in drafting the language and that sort of thing but they they don't have an official position yet and so from that perspective we didn't really hear anybody uh with any sort of real opposition to that and i think that that's going to make it even more exciting for our state and at the end of the day bringing more revenue yeah, now my state of New Jersey is a Big Ten state, also well, sort of um, with Rutgers. Oh, really? So, you guys, what, yeah. what do you guys got out there? Oh yeah, Rutgers. That's right. Well, you know what yeah, but I, you, I but I, I can't bet on. I can't. I can't take uh, Rutgers plus thirty-eight and a half against Michigan or any of that, <laughs> say, which is roughly where the line was. I think Ohio State was like fifty-two or something was favored, um, but was. I can't do that in New Jersey that because I won on that game because I took the points. It was like fifty-five or something when I bet it. And I'm like, I got to take those points just for fun. <laughs> Wow, great stuff. Um, well, it's been a, a real pleasure speaking to you, Brant, and uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, of course, congratulations on, on getting your legislation passed. These are exciting times in Michigan. 
Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks, Brett. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to our NFL playoff pick shortly, but first we update our betting bankroll, and we took a small hit this week, nothing major. John broke exactly even, winning us $100 on his 49ers-Vikings underbet, but losing $100 on his Clemson-slash-over-70-points parlay. And he can't even blame the parlay aspect since both legs lost. Uh, One of my bets last week was on a boxing match in February, so we'll have to wait on that. But my one result that's in was my bet on Lamar Jackson at plus 650 to be the leading rusher of the weekend. And it didn't win, but I feel good about the process. He rushed for 143 yards. Uh, That was the second highest total of the weekend. He would have won the bet for me if not for Derrick Henry's insane 195-yard day. Uh, But... Alas, we dropped $50 there instead. On the bright side, uh, John, your $30 bet on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl at 11-1. to 1. I don't want to jinx it, but it's looking promising. So uh, with the $50 loss, we are now in the red by $490. We have $885 on hold in futures bets. So we have $8,625 available to bet this week, and you're up first. Uh, yeah, I'll start with, you know, Derek Henry, the Titans, uh, instead of the five, plus 550, I'm getting plus 1000 on, uh, him scoring the first touchdown in the chiefs Titans game. It's a DraftKings promotion. So, uh, 50 to win 500 on Henry. Uh, I suggest people take a look at that one. Cause, uh, uh, that's a pretty good deal. All right. I, I don't know if we've ever uh, done a bet using the promotions or odds boosts available, but hey, they're out there. So why not? Uh, I, um, I I have been taking advantage of those on DraftKings myself. I think I've done maybe four of them over the last couple of weeks and one of them hit. So, uh, you know, that at, at 10 to one, that's uh, that's not bad. Uh, but that's a that's a pretty good one there on, on Henry, except for the fact that I'm not so confident that his team will be the first team to score. Uh, but it's still it's still a 10 to one. That's certainly a good price. Um, so uh, just like last week, when I bet on a particular player to lead the weekend in rushing yards, uh, FanDuel is offering the same props this week on passing, rushing and receiving. And I think Patrick Mahomes' price for passing yards is a little too good. Uh, He's only minus 110 out of four quarterbacks. And consider the other options. Ryan Tannehill is averaging 80 yards per game through two postseason games. Uh, Now, the game script will be different if they fall behind in Kansas City. But still, I don't see him coming close to 300 yards in the air. Same for Jimmy Garoppolo. San Francisco has a strong running game. And in the regular season, Garoppolo averaged 248.6 passing yards per game, 17th in the league. The only real threat here to me is Aaron Rodgers, but it won't be easy against the 49ers defense. So I I like Mahomes a lot in this one. I expect him to throw for more than 300 yards, and I don't think any of the other quarterbacks will. So let's risk $110 to win 100. All right. That does sound pretty logical. Um, I've got Jason Kokrak for uh, 100 at plus 200 to finish in the top 20 at La Quinta on the PGA Tour this weekend. Uh, This tournament has been renamed the American Express, which is Kind of a lame name for a tournament, but there we are. Um, Kokrak's a big brute who should crush these easy courses. Yes, courses. Um, there also are amateurs involved, and the whole thing's a little bit of a mess. But um, Kokrak has finished 8th and 18th here the last two years. And if you ever play him at huge odds to win an event, by the way, hit cash out if he has a lead at the back nine begins. Because <laughs> he will spit the bit every time. But he's comfortable getting into the top 20, and so I am too. 
Okay. Uh, well, now now we're back to a, a tradition from last year of you uh, betting on golfers I've never heard of. This is this is one guy I've never heard of before, but I'll uh, take your word for it that uh, even if he implodes at the end, he's uh, he's he's solid enough to, to make the top 20 there. Jason yep. Kokrak. I don't even know how that's spelled. I'll have to look that up when we're done. K-O-K-R-A-K. Oh, okay. There we go. He right looks here. like a guy named Kokrak. Like, that would be a good name for him. Yeah. <laughs> The name fits him. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. For our fourth and final bet this week, let's do an NBA bet. We have the Clippers against the Magic tonight. Orlando is riding high off their win over the Lakers. I assume a letdown on the second end of a back-to-back is coming. Uh, But the spread, Clippers by 11 and a half, it's a little intimidating. So instead of picking the Clippers to cover... I will take the over on points for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, The line is set at 27 and a half with Paul George out in the last three games. Kawhi has gone off for 36, 30 and 43, even though it costs us minus 118 to take the over. I think it's worth it. So let's risk $118 to win 100 Kawhi Leonard over 27 and a half points tonight. And we finish with our NFL playoff picks, where John is coming off a perfect 4-0 week to my good but imperfect 3-1. That puts John in the lead at 6-2 to my 5-3, which means also at 6-2, John, you have locked up uh, at least a winning record no matter what. Uh, Once again, John, just like in the regular season, uh, I'm doing well. I'm beating the books, but I'm in second place. Uh, But I still have three games to catch you, uh, and uh, you're up first for uh, the first game of the weekend. Yeah, I'm now up to a documented 53-35-4 for the NFL season, wow. which is a silly 59.7%. Um, I might be good, but I don't believe I'm this good. Fair. <laughs> uh, so be, be, uh, keep that in mind, listeners. Um, <laughs> now I'll start with Chiefs minus 7.5 versus the Titans. Uh, I'm not sure why I get a hook here because the Chiefs have their warts and the Titans have Derrick Henry. Um, Kansas City lost its heartbeat for about 20 minutes last week, and uh, it could be difficult to get back to sea level after that. You know, Teams that score 50 points in a playoff game tend to fare very badly than the following week. And I remember the Titans uh, crushing a better team last week. So Tennessee it is, and we may well have something to talk about when we each spend Super Bowl weekend in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, we might. Uh, although um, I, I'm going to – I have a chance here to make up ground on you because I am on the opposite side of this one i'm not i'm not with you here uh i i've been riding the titans all playoffs picking them to cover uh both weeks uh betting on them on the money line both weeks uh but that stops here to, to me i look at that chiefs game last week as you know they had their hiccup in the first quarter bounced back and, and got it out of the way now there is a world in which the titans score first and can lean on derrick henry and keep this close but I think it's more likely that the Chiefs offense does some damage in the first half and Tennessee has to throw the ball more. Not to mention, at some point, Henry's got to kind of hit the wall after three straight insane workloads, right? He's like, this is including the final week of the regular season. It's basically, I haven't looked it up, but somewhere I think over 600 yards the last uh, three weeks on the ground. Uh, I, I just, at some point, uh, your legs wear down a little bit. So I'm kind of expecting a comfortable Chiefs win on Sunday. Uh, And in the later game, the NFC Championship, it's the 49ers, also favored by seven and a half at home against the Packers. I'm by no means a believer in the Packers. If they get to the Super Bowl, they'll be among the more mediocre recent teams to reach the big game. But I think they have what it takes to keep this one close. Great quarterback, one of the three best wide receivers in the league in, in Devontae Adams, solid running back, decent defense, not nearly as good as San Francisco's D. But good enough, especially against the pass. I think seven and a half points is just a tiny 
tiny bit too much. Uh, I don't see Aaron Rodgers going down without a fight here, so I'm taking Green Bay. Yeah, and so uh, not to repeat myself, but I'm not sure why I get a hook here because the 49ers have their warts and the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. Um, I was not dazzled by Jimmy Garoppolo last week. And, you know, this meme about Aaron Rodgers is no good in NFC title game, uh, that suffers kind of from sample size issues, frankly. So, yeah, another nail biter where I get the extra nail. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So you're on both uh, underdogs uh, against the spread. And so I will need the, the Chiefs to cover the seven and a half in order to head into the Super Bowl with the two of us tied for the postseason. Otherwise, okay. if, if, you get the, if you get the Titans, you've got it locked up going into the, to the Super Bowl. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Representative Brant Iden. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Yes, Eric, on that long flight to San Diego last week, I bought a copy of the New Yorker magazine to pass the time and, uh, there's an astonishing story, and it. it's called World Without Pain. There's a 70-year-old Scottish woman, and she's unaware of what pain, rage, dread, grief, anxiety, or fear are all about, because uh, she had never experienced any of them. Uh, and yes, this digression will circle back to gambling, I promise. But <laughs> I will just add, you know, so it's mentioned that as a child, just Joanna Cameron, she fell and hurt her arm while roller skating, had no idea she'd broken it until her mother noticed that it was hanging strangely. Um, so she's a rare bird. Uh, she's not alone. And on the pain front... Um, I can relate, actually. Uh, hmm. At age 13, I ran full speed into a nun's parked car during a parking lot touch football game, and I bounced back about 10 feet. Um, I finished the game and found out later I had a broken collarbone. Wow. No pain. Yeah. I had broken about four different fingers, uh, once on a baseball bat hop, another volleyball incident. I was kicked once, and I can't even remember the other one. Uh, no pain. Uh, I've had stitches several times. I got eight. Uh, uh, in my foot, I kicked a beer can in high grass that contained a hidden broken windshield. Um, yeah, that was kind of bloody, but no pain. Um, a 270-pound left fielder once landed on this center fielder in a heap, crushing my hand. Uh, I continued in that co-ed softball game and caught the last out with the mangled hand and glove. I then went out for the post-game festivities, stuck a block of ice on the hand, went to sleep, woke up the next day to a hand twice the normal size. Turns out I had broken two metacarpal bones. Still, no pain. Um Five years ago, I had a hernia operation. Apparently, there's an easy way and a hard way to do that. Um, I was scheduled for the easy way, uh, I guess, for the lack of discomfort I showed. Uh, halfway through, they had to switch it to the hard way. <laughs> My surgeon said that it had never happened in 14 years of operations, which uh, I took as a badge of honor. Um, <laughs> so after a week, they had to revisit the surgeon and provide an update. And receptionist seemed amenable to listing a date as long as a patient liked for return to work, frankly. Um, she asked what she should list as my return date. I said, how about now? <laughs> and she said she'd never heard that before. Um, <laughs> last thing, I was told a couple years ago that I have severe osteoarthritis. I said that sounded like something I would know about, right, if I really had it. Uh, my rheumatologist pointed out to four of my fingers that had somewhat awkwardly regrown bone to replace lost cartilage. Um, she explained that typically is rather painful. And uh, I agreed that that sounds really, really painful. But uh, she told me it's already done, so I missed it. Um, and now we're back to gambling. Yes, I promised. Um, the author didn't ask this 70-year-old woman if she places bets, but I doubt it. Not only because she's a 70-year-old Scottish woman, but um, that's something perhaps profound about our, our gamblers out there. This woman is impervious to anger or frustration. I'm not, by the way. <laughs> um, so if she had the Redskins with the points and they lead the Eagles late in the game, only to fall slightly behind and then still covering, then there's a meaningless final play, extra Eagles touchdown, <laughs> fumble, the cost of the bet. 
she no doubt would just shrug and move on. You know, regret is not in her vocabulary. That sounds tempting at first, right? But could you fully enjoy gambling if you can't fully or even partly digest the angst that comes from a bad beat? Um, can you feel true joy when a long shot comes in at the racetrack if you're unable to suffer when brutal circumstances steal the money right out of your pocket? Um, so she the lucky one, you know, or, or you. Um, put another way, can you have the uh, thrill of victory without the agony of defeat? It's kind of a metaphysical question, Eric. And uh, with that, I'll once again say, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>